Good morning. Greetings in Jesus' name to each of you. It's good to be here. I was, well, the psalmist said, I was happy when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And I was happy when Davy called and asked if I could come here. It's been 31 years, I believe, on Mother's Day that I was baptized here in front of this church. Is anyone here who's 31 this morning? Give or take. So, anyway. Yeah. Well, about the time Levi was born, I was baptized here in front of this church. So. Thankful for that. It's been a good experience to walk with the Lord. This place, this church has a special place in my heart, and I'm happy to be able to come here occasionally and share with you. The message I'd like to share with you this morning is titled, Overcoming Insecurities in Our Youth. But as someone reminded me recently, insecurity is something we probably deal with throughout life, not just in a time of youth. Uh, there's a lot of changes in life, and... Insecurity can creep in and cause us to struggle from time to time. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the age of belief. It was the age of doubt. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. If you're a reader, you recognize that as being the opening paragraph from Charles Dickinson's book, Charles Dickens' book, The Tale of Two Cities, describes a wide array of emotions and experiences. It described, it described the moral and spiritual climate of Europe in the 1800s. But that is true. Youth can be a time, some of the best time of our life. It can also be a time that feels like things aren't going so well. It can be a time of gaining wisdom can be a time when there can be foolishness. It can be a time when we can grow in belief. It can be a time when we struggle deeply with doubts. It's a time of great hope, youth, and strength, and vitality. It can be a time of despair as we struggle and try to figure out where God is leading us in our lives. The early years of childhood for many children growing with Christian homes is a very secure time. It's a time of being somewhat carefree, feeling secure in their parents' love and in church life and school life, feeling there's protection. But as we enter into our teen years, life begins to change. We, we, trans, we begin to transition from just being someone's child to being an individual and discerning where's the Lord leading in our lives and how's it all opening up. And there are many changes. There, we're coming to a greater level of maturity. Uh, there are many changes. There's physical changes. There are emotional changes. And through this, insecurity can creep into our lives, and we can struggle with questions like, who am I? Where do I fit in? What is God's purpose for my life? And why has God allowed these different and maybe even difficult experiences to become part of my experience versus someone else's experience? Then on the other end of the spectrum, we have many children who do not have the blessing of growing up in secure Christian homes, secure Christian settings. And they do not have parents or homes where the love of God is there and where individuals are committed to each other. And the struggles in those lives can be long and difficult. Someone recently conducted a survey nationwide and said two out of three young boys growing up in America today do not have a positive male role model that they can look to. 66% of 
of young men growing up in the United States of America do not have a godly role model that they can look to for direction. Wonder where are we going as a nation? But I can assure you that we have a God who's in control. He has a plan and a purpose for every life. And as we seek him with our whole heart, as we surrender to his will, he will unfold that plan in our lives, and he will weave a beautiful tapestry in our lives that can bring honor and glory to him and can be a blessing to us and to those around us. And that does not mean that our journey will be pain-free, but it does, and it does not mean that our life will necessarily always be easy, but it does mean that we can experience peace, joy, and fulfillment as we walk with God. And as I prepared for this message, and I shared this message at the Brian Bible Conference and also in a youth weekend in South Boston. But as I prepared for this message, there were three truths that kept coming to me from the Scripture and from the Holy Spirit. And the first is this. God is faithful. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And that is Scripture. We can, we can grasp that promise. He is faithful. Number two, God sets boundaries to give us direction and protection in our lives. And number three, God has a wonderful plan and purpose for every life. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. We're studying Jeremiah now. Things look rather dismal, right? Jeremiah said that God has plans for our lives, plans to prosper us, to give us hope, and to give us a future. So this morning I want to consider the life of Joseph and see how these three truths are uh, evidenced and displayed in Joseph's experience. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 37. And for sake of time, we're going to fly at about 30,000 feet over the life of Joseph and just pick up bits and pieces as we go and, and move right along through his life. And I'll read the first few verses here that give us a foundation to move forward from. Genesis 37 and verse 1, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with his sons of Bilhah, with the sons of Zilpah, their father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many collars. And when the brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. So we see here the, the setting that Joseph was born into and how his life began to, to develop. We see several problems. One was a partial father. Here's a son who was born to his favorite wife in his old age. And he was his favorite son. And he made him this coat that was different from anything that the brothers had. And the brothers recognized that they had a, a that Joseph was their father's favorite son. It says they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Literal translation is they could not speak a kind word to Joseph. That was the setting in which this young man was growing up. And hold on to that thought. We're going to come back to that speaking kind words at the uh, conclusion of the message, Lord willing. So here's Joseph. He has a partial father, he has envious brothers, he's caught in the middle, and then on top of that he had dreams. He dreamed about the sheaves being out in the field, and his sheaves stood up, and the others stood, came around and made obeisance to him. 
He told that to his brothers. I don't know if that was real wise, but he shared that with his brothers. And then he dreamed another dream about the sun and the moon and eleven stars making obeisance. And even his father rebuked him for that. But yet his father remembered those things. And in verse 11 says, his, brother in, his brother's brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. And then his brethren went out to feed sheep at a distance, and, uh, and we know how Joseph then was sent out to follow them. So we'll drop over to, we'll drop down to verse 12. It talks about how they went. You know the story where Israel said to Joseph, go and check on their brothers and see how they're doing. And when he got there, they said, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. Let's see what will become of his dreams then. And fortunately, there was Reuben. Reuben had more of a heart of compassion, obviously felt more responsible than the others. And he said, no, let's not do that. Let's not lay our hands on him. Let's not shed his blood. Here's a pit. Let's put him down in this pit. And they did that. And they took the coat off of him. They put him in the pit. And verse 25 says, They sat down to eat, and they lift up their eyes and look, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery, balm, myrrh, and going down to Egypt. So just think about these calloused brothers of Joseph. They took their little brother, pulled his coat off, threw him in the pit, and sat down to enjoy their lunch. And then later, when they came down to Egypt and were before Joseph and didn't realize Joseph could understand what they were saying to each other in Hebrew, they said to each other, hasn't this trouble come upon us because of what we've done to our brother? Don't you remember how he pled when we did that to him? So here's a little brother down in the pit bleeding, pleading for mercy and brothers sitting out enjoying their lunch. There's Joseph's life. He's the beginning of his life. Rejection and abandonment. God created all of us with a number of desires. One is a desire to love and to feel loved. The desire to accept and to be accepted. And the greatest pain we can feel in life is the pain of rejection. To feel unloved, to feel abandoned, to feel that no one cares for us. And we follow Joseph's life and he had every opportunity to feel those feelings of being unloved, being unaccepted, to be abandoned. And then these brothers looked up after he was in the pit, and here were coming the Ishmaelites, the traitors. And they said, well, why should we take our brother's life? Let's just sell him to these traitors, and then he'll be taken down to Egypt or wherever. He'll still be out of our life, but we won't be responsible for killing him. And later then Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit. He returned to his brother and said, the child is not, and I, whether shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the, goat, the coat in the blood. And they sent a coat of many collars, and they brought it to their father and said, this we have found, know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it, and he said, it is my son's coat. An evil beast had devoured him, and Joseph is without doubt, without doubt, rent to pieces rent in pieces, and Jacob rent his clothes and put on sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And his always sons and his daughters rose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, I will go down to the grave until my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So here now is Joseph, taken down to Egypt and sold on the auction block, the slave block. And he's bought by an officer of Pharaoh's, the captain of the guard. 
And my understanding is the captain of the guard was the head of the secret police. Probably not a man to be reckoned with. The captain of the guard. And to add insult to injury, according to my calculation, the Ishmaelites would have been at least second cousins at the most distant third cousins that transported him down. So Ishmael was the son of uh, been their grandfather's half-brother. <laughs> yeah, Ishmael was their grandfather's half-brother, so it would have been their second or at the most distant third cousins that transported him down. Maybe would have known each other, adding insult to injury as we go. Did Joseph become a bitter and an angry young man? Did he wonder, why me? What is the purpose in all of this? God, where are you? I've attempted to serve you faithfully, to be a young man of integrity. My brothers are evil and wicked men, and I've talked to my father about the way they live. But yet they seem to be enjoying peace and prosperity, and all this difficulty has came into my life. Let's turn over to chapter 39. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him in the hand of the Ishmaelites, which he had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he do to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he was made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord had blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. One of my favorite verses, life verses, in the New Testament says, Whatsoever you do, whether in word and deed, do it heartily as unto the Lord. The scripture calls us to live and to serve God and to serve humanity around us as we're doing it to serve the Lord and not to please mankind. And I see that in Joseph's life. Wherever God called him, wherever he found himself, he put his heart into what he was doing and he did the best that he could and the Lord blessed him in return for his commitment. Proverbs 20:11 says, even a child is known by his doings, whether it be pure and whether it be right. Joseph, a young man, he was 17 when he went to check on his brethren. He was sold, we don't know, let's put him at about 18 now, possibly 18, somewhere in that range. Proverbs 16, 6 says, By mercy and truth iniquity is purged. By fear of the Lord men depart from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Joseph's heart and, and life was committed to pleasing God. We notice that even his owner, his slave owner, even his master, was pleased with him. Later we find him in the dungeon, and there the keeper of the prison is pleased with him. Wherever Joseph went, people was pleased with him, and I don't believe it was because he set out to be a man pleaser. I think it's because he set out to live his life pleasing God, even in difficult circumstances. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not in thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. There we see the first point. God is faithful. He will never leave us nor forsake us. 
Joseph had the same opportunity to experience the presence of the Lord in his life in a very real way down in Egypt as he would have back in Canaan with his family. We cannot flee from God. God is there. In Psalm 139, the psalmist said, if I, if I ascend up into the heavens, God is there. If I make my bed in show, if, I, if I'm in the grave, God is there. We cannot get away from God. Now let's look at verses 6 through 9. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and you not out aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused, and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wanteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath into my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie with her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. And there was none of the men in the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth. She talked to the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought a Hebrew in to mock us, and he came unto me to lie with me. And I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass that when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she kept the garment. She laid up his garment by her, until his Lord came home, and she spake unto him according to these words, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came unto me to mock me, and it came to pass I lift up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass when his master heard these words of his wife, which he spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant unto me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in prison. So here we see further evidence that Joseph was living with reverence for God and for his precepts. That was the directive for his life. And that leads us to the second point of the message, and that is God's commandments are both boundaries and safeguards to protect us from the evil and the damaging effects of sin. We notice that this lady, this promiscuous woman that he worked with day after day, was tempting him, was attempting to entice him. And I'd like for us to think a bit about context. Joseph was a young man whose mother had died when he was a child, very little, when his younger brother was born. He grew up in a home without a mother. He had a special relationship with his father, but that had been severed when he was taken away. He had been rejected by his brothers and didn't really have friendship there. And now he's somewhere around 18, 19, 20 years old possibly. And there's a woman that's offering him attention and affection. You think that would have been a temptation? I think that would have been a tremendous temptation for a young man, any young man, but especially one that was in the situation that he was in. But praise God for the fact that Joseph was keenly aware of God's presence. And he was also keenly aware of God's precepts. 
And he was keenly aware that it was not only for his, how do I say this? It was not only to keep him from sin, but it was also for his protection. God's, God's commandments are both boundaries and safeguards for our protection. And Joseph understood that. And Joseph said to her, how can I do this? How can I, how can I commit this great sin and sin against God? He knew he'd be sinning against himself, against Mrs. Potiphar, against Mr. Potiphar. But most of all, he said, I will be sinning against God. David recognized that in Psalm, maybe the, that our brother read this morning, that he had sinned against God with Bathsheba. And he caused the enemies of God to have occasion to blaspheme. Now Joseph is being pursued by a woman. Tempting him to sin, and he chose faithfulness to God. Joseph trusted in God's provision and protection for his life, and he understood it's better to suffer for doing right than to, to experience the effects of sin. Moses, also in Egypt, understood it was better to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Balaam said, let me die the death of the righteous, but he chose to live the life of the wicked, and he did not die the death of the righteous. Joseph was there in Egypt alone. When I think of young men that we can emulate, who can, we can look at for, for examples in life in the Scripture, I always think of Joseph, and I think of, of Daniel, and then, of course, of Jesus. But Daniel was in Babylon, and Daniel had a group of other believers with him. He was not alone. Joseph was alone. There was no, he had no idea that he would ever see anyone again from his childhood. He had no idea what God was doing. He had no idea why he was there at this point. But he was faithful and he said, I will not sin against God. Joseph knew the importance of boundaries, do we? Notice verse 10. It came to pass as she, spake to, as she spake to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her. In other words, he wouldn't listen to her. And he also refused to be with her. I'm assuming from that he refused to be in her presence unnecessarily. He was the servant in the home. No doubt he was there. But he refused to be with her. Joseph knew the importance of boundaries. How much, how much different this story could be if Joseph would have said, well, I'm lonely. I'll at least just hang out in the kitchen after work and visit. Joseph fled temptation. Paul, writing to his spiritual son Timothy, said, flee also youthful lust. Flee. Get thee out. Go away. Joseph did that. She caught him by the coat, and he ran and left his jacket. And we find him now in prison. Verse 20, and Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were bound, and there he was in prison. He was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. And the keeper of the prison looked not on anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to Prosper. Sound familiar? 
The same Joseph, the same commitment, and the same outcome. Faithfully serving God in the dungeon, because it said later, I've done nothing to deserve being in this dungeon. I take it he was under the city in the dungeon. But he just keeps faithfully being a man of integrity in the face of all this that's going on. He was there because he chose to do right. He chose to honor God. He chose to honor Pharaoh. He chose to honor Mrs. Pharaoh, but he was accused of doing what was wrong because of his commitment to do what was right. And that doesn't feel good. And I'm sure if you have much age at all, there's been times when you attempted to do the best you could in a situation, but you were accused of doing the opposite of what you intended to do. And that doesn't feel good. And it obviously didn't feel good to Joseph. But again, Joseph did not give up on God's faithfulness. He did not become a bitter man. And maybe it's because Joseph realized that he was safer in prison than in Potiphar's house. I believe Joseph was much better off if he'd lived his whole life in that dungeon than to be in the, be in the presence of that promiscuous woman. God's ways are best. And maybe that dungeon was a way of, of protecting Joseph's integrity and purity until God was ready to use him to be second in command in the land of Egypt. Joseph's faithfulness did not change. The importance of boundaries reminds me of a little incident that happened at Bank Church here some time ago. Nathan Phyllis had brought uh, little packs of popcorn and little uh, cookies, each in individual bags, and after church, each person could go back and get a little bag of popcorn or a little cookie and take them home. Well, one little boy, you know, he's about three, four years old, he went back and got his cookie and devoured it and he came up to his mom and kept pulling on her dress and said, Mom, I want another cookie. She said, No, you already had it. Mom, I want another cookie. And finally he said, Mom, can I just go over and look in the box? And she chuckled, but she said no. Joseph knew better than going over and looking in the box. He knew where boundaries are at, and he stuck with it. So I like that. I'll probably always remember that story on why we should not be looking in the box. More than likely, that little boy's hand would have just eventually involuntarily got another cookie because he was too close to the temptation. Don't get too close to the temptation. Flee youthful lust, the New Testament tells us. So we find him there in prison. And you know the story about the dreams. The butler and the baker both dreamed a dream. And Joseph came in and he noticed they were downcast. And uh, he told them, the interpretation of their dreams, and uh, he said, well, God, the interpretation of dreams belong to God, and he said, I will tell you what God says about it. So he told the butler that he would be restored, and the baker would lose his life, and that happened. It came true, just like Joseph said. But in verse 14 of chapter 40, Joseph said these words to the butler, but think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and to bring me out of this house. And verse 15 tells me that, that Joseph was keenly aware of what had happened in his life. Verse 15, For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. And you know what happened? That uh, butler was kind of like me. He forgets 
And he went back, went back to work and forgot all about Joseph. Until some years later, two years later, when Pharaoh had a dream. And he said, ah, this day, this day I do remember my faults. Chapter 41 and verse 9. Then the chief butler, then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. And he told the story. And Pharaoh said, yes, go get that man and bring him to me. And he came. But I'd like to think a little bit about the two years that, that transpired between the butler being taken out of the dungeon and word coming back to Joseph that it was time to shave and clean up and go appear before Pharaoh. Two more years. The scripture tells us that when Joseph stood before Pharaoh and was made second in command, that he was 30 years old. So that would put him in prison somewhere between the ages of 20 and 29, just roughly. And for many of us, we would see 20 to 29 years old being some of the best years of our life, especially for a young man. It's time to get out and find your occupation and maybe choose a life's companion and, and, and lay the foundation for the rest of your life. And during those prime years of Joseph's life, he was there wasting away in the dungeon, but he was faithfully serving God. He could have given up. He could have said, what's the use? Why even try? My brothers, Potiphar's wife, and now even the butler. Who can I trust? Can I trust anyone? Do you think Joseph was ever tempted to uh, find a bed sheet and end his life there in the dungeon? He may have been. I don't know. That's one of the things that they wanted us to think about a bit at the Brian Bible Conference. And, and I thought a lot about that as in preparation for this message. And, you know, Brother Allen and a number of us was closely connected with Brother Reuben and, and that situation. And you know the pain of that and how it just it never completely goes away. But don't contemplate ending your life. God has a beautiful plan and a purpose for your life. He is working it all out. And I never really thought about it until I studied for this message. Suicide is saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. Don't go there. If you have those thoughts, if you're ever tempted in that way, please don't keep it to yourself. Find someone to share with and to be accountable to and to... To make it through, I've, I knew years ago of someone who went and told his dad, he said, get all the guns out of the house. I don't, know where, I, want, I don't want to know where any guns are at. He knew he was struggling, and he did some right things, and he made it through. Don't go there. So we see Joseph there, again, faithfully serving God. He comes up out of the prison uh, when he was summonsed, and he told Pharaoh, he said, it's not me that interpret dreams. God is the one that interprets dreams. And God now is beginning to use Joseph in a way that I believe it's coming together in his mind. He's starting to understand what God is doing. A number of verses I'd like to share with you bringing us into the New Testament. Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 3 says this. And these are the words of Jesus. And this was in Jesus. Jesus was baptized. He was, went out in the wilderness for 40 days and was tempted and fasted and he came back and he came into the synagogue I believe is in Luke chapter 4 it said the the scripture or the scroll was handed to him the book of Isaiah he opened it up and he read and he said this day is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing and this is what Jesus read 
The Spirit of the Lord has appointed me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the accepted year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Jesus said, this is the reason that I came. I came to, to preach good tidings to the meek, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives. And I believe that's the captivity of sin. The opening of the prison to them that are bound. Sin binds us up. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint to them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. Whatever we have faced in life, whatever we're facing now, God is able to take that if we give it to him and make something beautiful out of it. That's what the scripture says. That's what Jesus said. That's why I came to earth, to take whatever is in your life and to bring healing and restoration and to make it beautiful. You see, we believe in the two kingdom concept and the the power that, be, that is in the kingdom of this world has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And when we walk in his kingdom and we follow Satan, we get beat up, and we get wounded, and we get hurt. And maybe we're not walking with him, but others who are walking with him will, will hurt us. And there, there are terrible things that happen. And probably one of the worst is sexual abuse. But the scripture says here he's able to take ashes and make them beautiful. And I believe for someone who's experienced that, they may feel their life is just ashes. They have nothing to offer. But God can make it beautiful. He can bring beauty out of ashes. All of joy for mourning and the garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. And notice the end result of what God does when we give him our life like Joseph gave him his life. He can make us trees of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Not to bring honor to ourselves, not to bring attention to ourselves, but that God comes into our lives and he takes whatever's there and he makes it right and he takes those ugly things and he brings beauty out of it and he equips us to help and to serve others out of that. And it's to bring honor and glory to God that they can see the righteousness that comes through him evidenced in our lives as we serve him. That is the life that Jesus offers to us. This is why Jesus came. The scripture says, by his stripes we are healed. And that's a whole message within itself. But I believe it was necessary, that scourging and all that was a necessary part of Jesus' suffering. Because the scripture says, by his stripes we are healed. And I believe as his body was healed from that, it is symbolic of the healing that we find in Jesus as our souls are healed in him. He's able to take the pain and the wounds of our lives and to make something beautiful out of it for his honor and for his glory. And now we come to the third point of the message, and that is God has a wonderful plan and a purpose for every life. We go over to chapter 45 now, and pick up after Joseph has tested his brothers. He now reveals himself to them. They know who he is. And they're concerned about what this could mean for their physical life, health, and well-being. 
Genesis 45, verses 3 through 8. And Judah spake unto him, saying, The man did solemnly protest us, saying, Ye shall not see my face except your brother. Be um, wrong chapter. Chapter 45. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am Joseph, does my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. And he went on to tell the story that there's still uh, five years yet when there will be no harvest. And he said in verse 7, And God did send me before you to preserve a posterity on the earth and to save the lives by great deliverance. Now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and the lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. And he says, now hurry, go back home, bring my father up and your families, and do that. And I found it interesting. He told him, now don't quarrel on the way. And I, if I get to heaven, or when we get to heaven, I want to ask him why he told them that. So I don't know if he thought they'd be blaming each other. Or what. He said, just don't quarrel on the way, just go home and bring your families down. So there's Joseph. He recognized the hand of God in all that had taken place. Chapter 50. A lot more water is passed under the bridge. Genesis 50 and verse 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will preadventure hate us and will certainly requite us for all the evil that we did unto him. And they sent a messenger to Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, so shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee, now the trespasses of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. Now we pray thee, forgive thy trespasses of thy servants. And the God of thy father and Joseph wept when they spake unto him. His brethren also went in and fell down before his face and said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Do you remember what I told you at the onset of the message to keep in the back of your mind? Joseph's brothers could not speak a kind word into him. We come all the way to the end of the story, and we find Joseph comforting them and speaking kindly to them came full circle, and he, the man of God, gave back to his brothers what they would never give to him in his childhood. God is weaving a beautiful tapestry in every life. Figure out where's the top and the bottom of this thing. There's an Arabic word for these things. And I'm not sure what it is, so we'll just call it a scarf. But we bought a number of them when we were over in Jordan. Brought them along home. And back in the early days, before printing, these things would have been, and similar material, would have been made by pulling threads through the loom, the right collar thread at the right place. And I'd like for us to think a bit this morning about this is the way our lives are. If we live to be 85 years old, there's 32,000 and some odd days. So let's say that each, say there's 32,000 and some odd threads running 
uh, horizontally through this tapestry. And every day, God is pulling one thread through at a time. He starts at the bottom. And when we're young, he's maybe working on that little row of camels at the bottom, and all you can see is the little camel's feet going across the loom. And you wonder, what is this going to be? But as time goes on, just like Joseph, as the years rolled by, the picture began to merge what God was doing in his life. And that's how it is for us. God is working. And you may be somewhere towards the bottom. Maybe you're older. You're somewhere closer to the top. And it's more evident what God is doing in your life. That's how God works. And every day he pulls a thread through. It might be a painful thread. It might be a joyful thread. We don't know. But it all has a purpose. God is pulling it through. God is shaping your life into something beautiful for his honor and for his glory. I'd like to share a couple of quotes with you yet. God never wastes our pain. Whatever we're experiencing in our lives is equipping us to serve him better and to minister to others. And that leads into the second quote. May the pain that we're experiencing today become the empathy we have for others tomorrow. May the pain that we're experiencing today become the empathy we have for others tomorrow. Third, meaningful relationships will cost us something because friendship without sacrifice is no friendship at all. Friendship without sacrifice is no friendship at all. Fourth, be available for others because many youth and adults in society do not have any mentors or role models they can look up to. And I will close with the example of Jesus. He was 12 years old. He went up to the temple with his parents. He was, got lost in the crowd. They thought he was lost in the crowd. He was there about his father's business in the temple. And then he went home with them. Jesus said to his parents when they came looking for him, and when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. There's so many similarities between the life of Joseph and the life of Jesus. Rejection, suffering for others, giving his life to sustain others. Be like Joseph, be like Jesus. Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and man. Just like Joseph, Jesus' first commitment was to please his heavenly father. And that out of that flowed his relationships. And not everyone loved him. Not everyone appreciated him. But he was always loyal to God. He increased in wisdom and stature. Seek God first. And other things will follow according to God's plan. Use our lives to bless others. To help those. May we become trees of righteousness. That shows how God works in the lives of those who are surrendered to him.
And as we struggle with insecurities in life, give it to God. We don't know where he's leading. We don't know where he's going. But we know that his way is best.